0: Well, we're going to jump right into our sermon today. Uh, we do have uh, communion coming up, and just a reminder, uh, if you are one who would prefer that prepackaged uh, at any point during the message here or as we get into communion, feel free to step up and do that uh, and grab that from the back, or we'll be passing that in the service later on. But well, we're going to continue in our series that we've been in uh, for some time, and I'm just realizing I forgot my clicker down there. Give me I'm going to talk while I'm going here. This is just a... A service of some theological roadblocks, but or some, uh, not theological, technological. That's just... <laughs> Speaking of, there was a theological roadblock in, in uh, Thessalonica. And that's really where, what we're going to be talking about today. Is this, this, throughout this book, it's, it's Paul really talking to this church and helping them um, understand really what it is that they are doing as believers, this young church that's sorting through all the ins and the outs, all of the questions, all of the hardships. And today we're going to be talking about hope. And that's part of uh, the, um, uh, we have the wrong slide up here, I'm, I'm realizing, as well. This is just, this is a great, great start here. So we're going to be talking about everlasting hope, and we're going to give a chance to get the right, the right uh, uh, slide in there. But everlasting hope in, in God, and in that there's this section of First Thess- Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, uh, that really are these, these really heavy-hitting verses. and so much of this series, we've been going into this application, right? How does this make a difference in our life? And it's not really a deep dive into theology as much as how it really impacts you in this life. Uh, but these verses specifically, verses 13 through 18 in First Thessalonians 4, uh, talk about a lot, right? It talks about the afterlife. It talks about the return of Christ. It talks about the rapture, the resurrection of believers. And a sermon like this wasn't so hard for me to plan as far as what I would say, uh, but what I wouldn't say, because we only have so much time this morning, and I really want this to be uh, more, again, the question, how does this impact our lives? What does it mean for us in the here and now, and and what does it mean for eternity? And the point of these verses we're about to read uh, were not so much to give this great theological lesson to this church, but really to offer this comfort And this hope through everything that they're going through. That they're experiencing the death of loved ones around them. And and they're asking the question, well, what happens to them if Jesus hasn't come back? And what's beautiful about God's story is that from beginning to end, it's filled with this relentless hope for all who are united with God. And that there's this end of the story that we can kind of uh, know that we can look forward to, that no matter what's happening now, we know what is to come. And that's really how we often try to view life, isn't it? We want to know what's, what's happening next. And there's someone uh, in our congregation, I, I know, will not read a book unless she can read the last page first to know how it ends. She will not watch a movie unless she knows how it's going to end. And I don't want to embarrass that person, so I'm not going to share the name Alison Stanky with you. But... <laughs> But I think there's many who are kind of along that same, uh, that same wavelength, right? We want to know how it ends. And the beautiful part of God's story is that we can know. And it gives us this hope which becomes the bedrock of our faith, this relentless confidence in God in all that He has left to do while still understanding all that He has done. And that's what we are going to be reading today, that, that it's not possible to be a healthy church unless you are a hopeful church. And God's desire for all people is believe in him, believe in his promises, have confidence in what he has yet to do, and have this hope that lasts forever in him and his power and his provision. So let's pray before we read that text today. Again, if you're not open there already, I encourage you to open there now, but let's, let's join our hearts together in prayer. So God, I just do pray uh, for these words that we're about to read and discuss, these important, very important words as we wrestle with something so grievous, even as death. Uh, for, for much of the world, death is just seen as the end. The finality is completely hopeless. But in you, God, we know that death can just be the beginning. That death is what brings us into a, a more fulfilled presence with you, that we do not experience death, but all we experience is life, and that gives us such great hope through any trial, any season we may be going through. So I pray for anyone right now who's wrestling with these ideas, who's wrestling with what's to come, uh, wrestling through a season, God, that you would comfort them with your divine hope, that we can have this confidence in you, knowing, Lord, that the story is going to end in the most perfect of ways because of your power. And Lord, we just rest in you. We rest in that hope and your promises. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Starting in verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. There's a lot to unpack in this today. And, and the first point is, is that there's this hope that we have as believers that goes beyond any struggle we have in this life. right? Any hardship, any heartache. But the greatest hardship and the greatest suffering we really have as believers is, is, the, is death, the loss of loved ones, and, and, and struggling with the idea of death ourselves. And the point from verse 13 is that there's a hope that we have that goes far beyond our greatest despair, death. We see the consistent message of of keeping hope through all circumstances throughout the Bible. We've circled around the idea of hope in this letter itself, but here Paul is really hitting head on this, this, this great confusion and despair that's happening in this young church that they believe wholeheartedly Jesus is going to come back. But they're losing their loved ones, their friends and the family in the meantime, and and they're not sure what happens to them. And the questions are circling of, of are they now just lost forever? Is all of their hope gone? What happens if I die before Jesus comes back? And this is really because they're misinformed of what would happen. And, and it's somewhat understandable. If you remember the story of how this church was planted, Paul and his friends, they came in to this, to this city, and they only had a handful of weeks to spend with them to, to really plant this church. And it's pretty miraculous in and of itself that this church has survived. And you go through the, the New Testament, especially in Acts, you see that it was often months or even years that they would spend with these new believers, teaching them everything about God. But here is just after a few weeks, this is obviously a topic that they didn't go over. Now they are confused about what would happen. They're, they're adopting the worldly view of death, that the death, death is it. Death is final. And the afterlife for many, especially in world religions, was, was grim or is very vague. And Paul is now um, encouraging these believers that those who have died have much hope. And the way we grieve is is different than the way the rest of the world grieves about death. And he uses the term here, sleeping in death, or or who have fallen asleep. And this is pretty consistent through all the New Testament writers. Even Jesus refers to death as as sleeping. And this is to show that, that death itself was not final. It was a, a temporary thing. And, and really it's the body that would kind of sleep in the grave. That the spirit is separated from the body upon death. The spirit immediately transfers into the afterlife. The body will remain in the ground. And eventually the spirit and the body will be reunited at the second coming of Christ. And as they're growing as Christians, it's important that Paul makes it very clear that death for a Christian is very different than the rest of of the world, and so we are to grieve differently than the rest of mankind. And another thing that should be made clear is it's not saying that Christians should not grieve. Okay, and, and many in this room probably uh, grew up with the mentality that if you feel sad, you're supposed to stuff it. Right? If you feel grief of any kind, you should not admit it because grief is weakness. And that's not at all what this verse is saying. It's that we are to grieve. We're created to be relational beings. And and we grow very close with people in this life. And when you're separated from them, even for a time, it hurts. We all grieve in different ways. But we are not to grieve in the same way that the rest of the world grieves, who does not have any hope. We grieve with this balance of that pain that we're feeling in the moment and the hope of eternity of what is to come that our bodies may go into the grave, but our spirits last forever, and there's a future that's coming in Christ. Death is not a defeat for the believers. It's only temporary. And so the application we, we have out of this is that our hope really comes in knowing and believing God's truth. That any substitution, any other worldview or perspective is only going to lead us to confusion, anxiety, and frustration. That's what's happening for this group of believers. That they were misinformed. And another word for that is ignorant. That they have the wrong idea about death and what is to come. And it could have been an outside teacher um, coming in, a false teacher, and, and misleading them. It could have just been their own assumptions as believers. Because they weren't instructed in the word and the truth of God. But... Regardless of how they got there, they felt this hopelessness because they weren't living in God's truth. And in our own lives, we, we may know God's truth and His promises. We read it. We digest it. Sometimes we know it, but we don't believe it. Right? Sometimes we go through the worldly perspective. We look for the understanding of others or the understanding of ourselves, of how to view life. And it might work for a moment, but eventually we're going to be misled. We're going to be confused. We're going to be frustrated that it's not making sense. And whether you come to that spot, either through ignorance or defiance, if you're not living in the perspective of God's worth and his God's word and his truth, you're ultimately going to be misled just like this young church was about something so important. If you want to live a hopeful life, it needs to be rooted in the in the power of God's promises and his truth. You need to read it, and know it, and believe it, and trust in Him. Have this confidence in Him that does not fail. Hope only comes by knowing the truth of God. And this is a hope, as we read here, and really verses 14 and 15. It comes by by looking in the past. Everything that God has done in your life, in this world. And, and, you know, the the roots... um, Curriculum went through the cycle of Judges. It went through some parts of the Old Testament where, where it talks about these people of God, Israel, who, who really see God working among them. They, they see these incredible miracles, this power, this provision of God. And, and as, a, as a whole people group, they're just in awe of what God is doing. And they celebrate. And they, and they, they say, we'll never forget this. And then days turn into weeks. Weeks turn into months. And sometimes, just in a matter of a few days, a hardship comes. They say, where is God? Where has He been all my life? I feel so alone and isolated, and they quickly forget all that God had done. In our own lives, there's so much power in remembering the ways God has moved the pieces around, how he's, He's provided these miraculous provisions for you to be where you are, And it's important to look back on that, but most important is to look back on the death and the resurrection of Jesus. This is the most powerful example of God working and fulfilling His promises in your life. The death of Christ is something that we'll be remembering today. It's why we're instructed by Jesus. Shortly before He left His disciples, He said, Do this in remembrance of Me, so that you proclaim My death until I come again. We quickly forget all that God has done, but especially the death and the resurrection of Jesus. This is the bedrock of the Christian faith. right? If there was no death, there would be no forgiveness of sin. If there was no resurrection, there would be no power over death. There would be no hope of the future for us. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, we read in the book of 1 Corinthians, then our faith is pointless. In Romans 6, it says that if we've been united in death with Jesus, we will be also united in resurrection with Jesus. We read many times that God loves us, but it's the death and the resurrection of Jesus that proves that God loves us. And this is more than just a whimsical belief, right? Right? The death and the resurrection of Jesus is something that's verifiable by history. There's so much written about it even outside of the Bible. It's it's really a fact. It happened. Jesus was a real person, right? He lived among us. He died and he raised from the dead. And we can look back on that and say, if God didn't fail me then, he won't fail me now. If I die before Jesus comes back, he's just not going to forget me. Those of us who have fallen asleep with him will be raised up back to life in him. When you're struggling, look back. And that's the application point today, is that when you're feeling hopeless, just remember all the ways God has proven to you his power, his protection, and his provision in the past. Just look at your own life. And then look beyond your life and look at the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Look at His life. He didn't fail you then; He won't fail you now. And I remember uh, shortly before I left college, one of my mentors, uh, one of the most impactful conversations of my life. We had a couple. We were having coffee that day, and he said, "You know what, Dominic? You're about to enter real life. Okay, and you're going to experience a lot of confusing moments. The job you really want, you're probably not going to get." You're going to have relational conflicts. You're going to experience death of loved ones. You're going to have all sorts of hardships and struggles. Where in the moment you're going to be telling yourself, where is God in this? You're going to be asking, did God forget me? This just seems way too difficult to be going through if I'm really loved by God. And you're going to live through all of those things. But then you're going to have the value of retrospect when you live beyond that and you look back. And you're going to be able to see all of those tough moments that you went through. You're going to see how God used those, those, those pains and those hardships. He's going to use them as puzzle pieces in your life to really put you in a place you never thought you could be. You're going to see that God's plans are, are much bigger than yours. And He can use even the most painful moments in your life for His glory and to bring you closer to Him. You're going to look back on that in retrospect and say, Aha, now I get it. Now I see where God was working in all that. He said, he said, do me the favor and don't make the same mistakes I did. Remember what I'm telling you now. So when you're in those moments, you know you're going to have a point in the future where it makes sense. But most importantly, look back to what Jesus has done for you already. Now, if we live with that perspective as Christians, that relentless hope, that no matter where we are now, we know that God has never failed us before. That he's going to bring us through whatever we're going through, and there's a future ahead of me. That's such a valuable testimony as a church. And that's exactly where Paul went here. Don't just look at the past, look at the future. Remember the promises of God that we have this hope resting in the future, that we know how the story ends. And now he throws in verses 16 and 17, which. Again, this is really where a lot of the heavy-hitting theology comes from today. We're not going to go through a lot of that right now. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk more about the return of Christ and and how this works. But this is really him combating the issues that this young church is facing, is what happens in the future. And these are some of the most discussed and debated uh, passages in in all of the Bible. And the, the primary focus of that is in verse 17, where we see the words, caught up. Were snatched up, that when Jesus comes back, the dead of Christ will be raised first, and then those who are still alive, which, which could be us, will be caught up, and will be meeting together in the air. That is referring to what we know as the rapture. Okay, and the rapture is made really popular, especially in the mid-90s, late 90s, with the Left Behind series, the books and the movies, and, and it's this idea that there will be this sudden taking away of all the believers that will be joined with the dead in Christ, that will be taken away before the great seven-year tri- tribulation that we see uh, really spelled out in, in, in Revelations 4 through 19. And, and that will be, will be gone, and then we'll come back. All right, now, this is uh, a word that doesn't actually appear anywhere in the Bible, rapture, but it's taken from this. Rapture is the Latin for caught up or snatched. And this, verse 17, is actually the most complete picture of the rapture in the Bible. There's some other uh, allusions to it in in Ezekiel and Daniel and Revelation, but this is really where we get the bulk of the theology. And so our minds can be really just going in a bunch of different directions. How does this work? It may really bring more questions than answers. How does this fit in theologically with with all that's going to happen in the future? Because we have such a fascination with the future, this this really insatiable curiosity. We want to know how it ends. That sometimes we can ask all the questions and forget the point of this. That there is a future before us that is well beyond anything we could ever imagine, that's secured in Christ, that can never be taken away from a believer, and it will be perfect I just want us to look at these two verses and really look at it in the context of all of eschatology, which is the study of the return of Christ. And I'm going to give you, if you're new to the church or you just need a refresher, I'm going to give you a less than two minute summary of all of the return of Christ. And I'm going to set a stopwatch for myself, because this is something easy to do for Two hours. So, to understand the return of Christ, you have to first know that Jesus came the first time in the flesh. He lived a life, he died on the cross, he was resurrected, and then he ascended to heaven. And he promised he would come back. Right? Now, when he comes back, as we read here, the resurrected or the dead will be resurrected, right? The spirits will be joined back with the bodies, they'll be resurrected, and all those who are alive then will be snatched away, at the rapture. And we'll join everyone together, all the believers together, in the presence of Christ. And then Jesus is going to defeat all the powers of the world that stand in opposition against him. It could be individual people. It could be world governments. It's going to be Satan himself. And even death will finally be destroyed. Death is the opposition of God's plans. God hates death so much that he sent Jesus and sending him again to finally defeat death. All right, so Jesus will defeat every power that stands against him. And then everything left on earth, earth which is the rest of creation, the trees, the, the seas, the, the creatures, they're all going to be released from Satan's power and influence and now fully in submission, restored to Christ. And now will, there will be this kingdom on earth of, of divine peace and love. Everything left will be in submission to Christ. And then a new heaven and a new earth will come, as we read in Revelation 21, that earth and heaven will become the same. Right? And now we have this perfect creation of which everything will not know death or sorrow or pain of any kind. Everything is created as it was supposed to be. And it's this perfect bookend, eschatology, that, that in the beginning God created everything good and perfect in the Garden of Eden. Sin ruined that. Now through all this time he's going to come back and do away with sin and death and it will be perfect again in the Garden of Eden, the new Eden. That's our future. And that was in two minutes and three seconds. All right. That's how this all works. And now these verses are kind of in in all of that framework. We ask ourselves the questions, All right, is, is the rapture then before or after the tribulation? Is the rapture the same time as the coming of Christ? Are they separate events? How does this fit in with the millennium? All those things that have been debated by Christians and pastors and theologians through all the years that they miss the point. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back quickly and when he does, everything will be made new. Everything. And in that is this great hope and encouragement that we can live with as believers. And we may not know every single piece of how it happens when, but my suggestion to you as a Christian, when you think about the return of Christ, just like Larry Osborne says, don't be on the planning committee, be on the welcoming committee. Be ready to receive Him and look forward to that day with great anticipation and hope. It's going to bring for us this great reunion. This is the hope here, that every believer who has ever died and every believer who is currently alive, will be brought together immediately in the air. Every loved one you have ever lost, if they are a believer, they will be with you again. You will be reunited with them and reunited with Christ forever. It will bring this great relief, this great deliverance from all the pain and sorrow we've ever known. There's a great hope resting in the future that cannot be taken away from you. And the application here is that no matter what you're facing in this life, always rest in this hope that Jesus is going to return. He's going to make all things like new. Everything is going to be made exactly as it was supposed to be. We don't like death. Nobody is untouched by the grief of death. But God hates it more than you. God hates death. That's why Jesus came. That's why he's coming again. We have this hope resting in the future that one day there will be no more death. That he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no death or mourning. There will be no crying or pain. No matter what you're facing, it is only temporary. Jesus will come back. That's the perspective, the hope we need to carry as believers that carries us through all things. In the last two verses, really the last part of 17 and 18, that we will be with the Lord forever and therefore we are to encourage each other with these words. This really shows the scope of the hope we have. It's not this temporary fleeting thing. It is forever and ever and ever. Many times life can be so confusing. God can feel far away. But the fundamental truth is he has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. Once you are his children, you are his child forever. You are his. And he will come back. You will be in his his presence, not for a moment, but forever. We live in this world of such few guarantees, right? And the few things we can guarantee, death and taxes, right? Those are the things we're not looking forward to. We live with this eternal guarantee, this hope secured forever in Jesus, that nothing can separate you from Him. And so we should encourage each other with these words. Another word for courage here is Comfort. When we're feeling these moments of of great pain and grief comfort each other with the hope of God. It's only found through Christ Jesus. It's really the concluding point of this. It's amazing that only in God's word can you take this group of people from, from great despair to eternal and blessed hope in six verses. And that's the story of our lives and, and our great hope as a church and our testimony to all those people out there who are living without that hope. We have this hope not in us, not in our power, not in this world, but in Jesus Christ, that he will make all things right, that we will be with him forever, and we can encourage and comfort one another with those words. And that's the last point and really the concluding point of this sermon before we go into our communion today. That is, for a Christian, for the believer, every single hardship and heartache you have in this life will always be temporary. All we will know for eternity is the love and the peace of God in His presence. That's the only thing that will last forever. And Randy Elcorn said it better than me in his book on heaven. He says that for Christians, this present life is the closest, this present life is the closest we will ever come to hell. But for the unbeliever, this life is the closest you'll ever get to heaven. Apart from Jesus, we're trying to build our heaven here and live in all of the comforts and avoid every kind of pain and despair we can in our short and finite life. If you live apart from Jesus, the closest you'll ever get to heaven is what you can manufacture for yourself here. But for the Christian, we know that life may not always be easy, and even the best life you could ever build here will never compare to the life you'll have there with Jesus forever. The best we'll experience here is the closest we'll ever experience to hell. It will only get better from here on out. We live well beyond today. We live well beyond this life. We live with this perspective of all that is to come and this hope that is eternal. In Christ Jesus. It's because we believe in what he's done. and We have confidence in what he's going to do. When we celebrate communion today, that's, that's what we're doing, is, is really looking back and looking forward. What did Jesus do for you? The death he suffered on the cross was for you, out of his love for you. The death he suffered was not because he deserved it, it It's because he humbled himself to it. He chose to do it for you. And now through that death and the resurrection of Christ, we can experience a death to our old selves that was ruled by sin. And as a Christian, that's something you experience right now in this life. A death to the old self. And now a resurrection into the new life. The same resurrection we'll have when he returns will be resurrected forever into our glorified and perfected bodies in his presence. Jesus took our sin on the cross. He conquered the power of death. And soon he will conquer death completely. It's a time to remember all he has done and all he has left to do. And If you're new here, you know, when we celebrate communion, this is for anyone who has a faith in Jesus Christ. There's no membership requirement here. But it's also a time that causes us to really reflect. It's something we don't just jump into. It's something you really want to prepare your heart for. And so we take a scriptural example that we, we take a moment to examine ourselves. That we don't want to do this in an unworthy matter. And really should come to mind two things. Just to, to have your mind uh, remember all that Jesus has done. But also remember your own heart. Where are you at with things? It's a time to really talk to God how have you failed? Where are the places you can repair your relationship with Him, your relationship with others? And so, we take this, this quick moment wherever you're at in faith, I encourage you to take this moment between you and God. You can come to Him with anything. There's a moment of silence that we'll, t- that we'll take together as we examine ourselves before we uh, celebrate communion with one another. So let's just take, take that moment of silence now.